Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Okay, in the sermon. Uh, but this is our scripture passage from Deuteronomy 26, verse 1 through 12. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of the tithe, giving it to the Levites, the aliens, the orphans, and the widows, so that they may eat their fill within your towns. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. Let's stand and sing. Just a little preview for our live nativity that's coming up next week on Wednesday or Thursday. Really encourage you to be a part of that to um, really kick off your Advent season. It's a really um, amazing event that, that I love being a part of and I love um, getting to just glimpse and, and be at peace during. Um, but leading up to Advent, I do have kind of a moment of um, your confession time and to ask you um, who put up their Christmas lights as soon as Halloween was done. Okay, a few of y'all, you broke a rule. Um, how many of you have watched a Christmas movie before Thanksgiving? Yeah, my wife is completely guilty of that. So I'm going to try and vindicate your sin here today of breaking the scheduling rule of not waiting until after Thanksgiving for anything Christmas. But we're going to try and vindicate that because, because we're going to ask the question of, um, is it appropriate to celebrate when you haven't had anything to celebrate yet? Or is it foolish to celebrate when you don't know what you're celebrating or don't have anything to celebrate right now? Is it foolish to celebrate Christmas when it's not actually Christmas time and you don't know what's coming? And I think we're going to vindicate that because there's this really great example um, that the Romans give us. 
the Jewish festivals that we read about so often, like Pentecost is a Jewish festival, and they were celebrating the bringing in of the harvest. They were celebrating all of the abundance they felt like God was giving them. But um, the, the Romans had a different huge festival, and it was this citywide, countrywide festival. It was called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia was an uh, honoring of the god Saturn, the god of sowing seeds, sowing plants. And it would happen around the time in which um, the winter planting would happen. I didn't know you planted seeds in winter. I thought that was just a dead dormant time. But apparently you plant cauliflower and you plant cabbage and you plant lettuce and you plant kale. If you would ever want to do that, you would plant kale. And you uh, plant those during the winter planting season. And they would hold this big celebration around the planting season before they ever had crops to bring in. They were, they were celebrating about just the, the planting time. And what they would do during Saturnalia was they would hold these big abundant feasts in anticipation of the food that they would have. So they would hold these big abundant feasts. They would bring block parties together. I mean, the whole city stopped for like three days and just ate and danced and had a great time. And then in the streets and in their houses, they would also light candles. So their houses were decorated with all these lights and their streets were decorated with all these lights and they would hold parades going through all of these lights leading to these big feasts. And then they would also do this amazing thing of giving gifts to each other during Saturnalia. So they would have all these lights and they would have these big feasts and they would give presents to each other. And then it was also this time in the Roman social consciousness where for three days they really paid attention to the poor, which was not very common in the Roman world. So they would pay attention to the poor. Slaves even were freed, essentially, for three days to say what they wanted, do whatever they wanted. It was a time of great charity. And so we have this huge festival in December in which we light up the streets, we hold big elaborate feasts, we give presents to each other, and we pay special attention to those who are needy. Does this sound familiar at all? It sounds familiar because when Constantine became a Christian in 312 and then by 313 when Constantine had uh, made Christianity one of the official religions or an acceptable religion within the Roman Empire, they started looking kind of like Paul said to the Christians on, to the to Romans in Mars Hill when about the temple of the unknown God. Paul had told them, you're, you're worshiping God. You just don't have the right name. You just don't know the right God. You, you've been doing all these things. It's kind of like God's provenient grace has led you to this place. And so what Constantine and other Christians see in Saturnalia is that people are already lifting up the hope that Jesus is bringing to the world. And they already see the light because Easter at that point had been celebrated. You can look at the end of 1 Corinthians and you can see a creed about Christ's death and resurrection. And Easter was the primary holiday of Christianity because it pointed to the outcome. Easter was celebrating the outcome that we already know, celebrating the death, resurrection, and the future that that presents to us. Christmas was first celebrated in 336 after this time of recognizing um, the importance of celebrating what we expect. So Easter was celebrating what we already know. Christmas was what we expect to happen. And that's really what Advent is about. Advent is not just waiting on something to happen, but Advent is expecting something to happen. And so during this time of Saturnalia, which kind of became Christmas, it's one of the theories of why Christmas is in December. It's this expectation that the seeds we plant, the expectation the seeds God plants, are going to grow into something fantastic. And I guess it's the question of, are we foolish to celebrate something we don't know the end of? Are we foolish to light a candle for hope that the world will be dark? Well, there's another thing about this agricultural time. 
One of the things we miss in the Bible especially, but also in ancient history, is we're not farmers. We own pickup trucks that we don't actually use for anything a pickup truck is supposed to be used for. Most of us own horses. There are some people that own horses that don't have farms. I mean, it's, we're not farmers, so we don't know the agricultural seasons. But there is a period of time in the winter, we call it the winter solstice, where the days have been progressively getting darker and darker and darker. But it comes a point in which the light breaks through. Uh, the, the Romans called it, in, in Latin, it was Dies Solis Invicti Nate, and it means the birthday of the unconquered sun. And it was this point in time which they had paid attention when they recognized that the days are no longer getting darker. And it was when they lit up the candles and they lit up the houses and they lit up the streets that they had the promise that the sun was going to start coming back again. That the seeds they planted were going to progressively get more light and more hope to spring into something great. And so I guess it's not foolish to celebrate something if you already know the outcome. And they had seen this agricultural cycle before. They had seen the crops come to fruition before. Maybe it's not foolish to celebrate early if we already know the outcome. And in Advent, when we are celebrating the birth of Christ, we're not just celebrating the birth of Christ. We are anticipating the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and the fullness of Christ's kingdom. And we're not just waiting on that to happen. We're expecting it, and we're anticipating it, and using Advent. Advent was designed as a time of discipline to pattern our lives around what the kingdom of Christ would be, because we've seen it before. When Jesus came, John 1 talks about it this way. The Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And it was John who testified to Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because He was before me. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. We anticipate this because we've seen it before. We have witnessed the fullness of God in Jesus Christ before. And so Revelation tells us that we look forward to the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. If you've ever heard the Hallelujah Chorus, part of Handel's Messiah that you can listen to on December 18th when our choir sings it, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. It's the reason we celebrate now, and I'm okay with you watching Christmas movies before Thanksgiving, is because I'm assuming that watching the Hallmark movie means you are anticipating the kingdom of Christ coming. Can we make that connection? Absolutely. Because you're anticipating a kingdom of kindness. You're anticipating a kingdom of mercy. You're anticipating a, king, a kingdom in which there is no more pain. There is no more tears. Things do work out in the end. The kingdom of hope that is spoken about whenever Jesus talks about this kingdom or when we see the fullness of God in Jesus Christ, it is always a presence which brings people hope and gives them a glimmer toward the future. And people in Jesus' time recognized him as the Messiah because they'd seen it before. And they'd seen it before in the scripture that we read from Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy, we're reading from Deuteronomy during Advent as we're talking about kings and kingdoms because Deuteronomy was the book, is the book that encapsulates the wisdom given to the Hebrew people when they are standing on the brink of the Jordan River and they are looking across into the promised land and they are being told, this is the world the way that it should look like. This is the world that if God is going to be your sovereign, if you are going to claim God as your king, this is what the world is, should look like. And I, and I really want you to go read through Deuteronomy during Advent to experience just kind of how radical it looks compared to our common sensibilities. And in this, in Deuteronomy 26, what the world, the way that it's supposed to look like, 
Deuteronomy 26 is the last commandment given. There is a whole another retelling of Exodus. There's the blessing and curses. If you don't follow the law and all sorts of things will happen. But Deuteronomy 26 is the last thing that is told to be, that the Israelites are supposed to do. And it's a tithe of all things. It's every third year, because this is the, uh, uh, every third year, that farmers or people are supposed to gather up the first fruits. Now, Leviticus calls it 10%. We call it, talk about tithing 10%, and we talk about tithing every year instead of th- every third year, which would be nice. And so every third year, farmers gather up their crops, and they take 10% of it to, let's just call it the church. They call it the church, and they give it to the priest. They give it to the Levite, the pastor there. And what more is a tithe than hope? Those of you who are familiar with church giving or finances, one of the things in the Bible they talk about is tithing of our income, giving 10% of our income to God through the church for the work of ministry, through the work of the church. That's why we held pledge campaigns. It's why it, it's the spirituality of giving that we talk about. And so when we're looking at um, tithing as hope, what these farmers are doing is they are recounting, when they, when they deliver this basket of 10% of their harvest, they're recounting everything that they are thankful for. They're thankful that God has given them this land that has produced this food. And so they're giving out of thanksgiving. And they can look back and see that they've seen God show up before in the Exodus story when they were oppressed and they were enslaved and when they were hungry and thirsty in the wilderness, that God has always given them away and God has always shown up. And so they are giving out of thanksgiving, but they're also giving in hope that the food that they give will be replenished or that God will provide. Because, and they're willing to give that because they anticipate God showing up because they've seen God showing up. They're not celebrating something that they're hoping to happen. They're celebrating something they expect to happen because they've seen it happen in the Exodus. They've seen it happen in the wilderness. They've seen it happen in their entire existence. And so they are willing to give. They're willing to give because they expect that God will continue to show up and provide the same way God has always done. And one of the things I think about us and I will say our church, our society, our, our community, one of the things I think is that we have a hard time with a tithe. We have a hard time with Advent. We have a hard time with the anticipation of Christ or looking toward the kingdom of Christ because it seems like something in the distance because we forget what we've experienced. We forget the experiences of Christ or through church that have brought us to the place we are now. We forget the history of the Jewish people or the history of the Christian people that have maintained and kept us going and all the ways in which God has intervened and brought us to these places in the world, all the ways in which the ways and teachings of Jesus have brought good things in the world because we tend to get so focused and we tend to get so worried about our own personal security. Because again, we're not farmers. So if we put it in terms of dollars— Let's just pretend that the average annual income for family in this area is as low as $100,000. Some people are lower, some people are higher. 10% of that is $10,000. When I say bring a basket of food, it doesn't sound so harsh. If I say write a check for $10,000, all of a sudden there's a little bit of a hard time writing that check. Not because we don't have the means, not because it's, we're not generous. Everybody in here is generous. It's just because big amounts make us insecure. 
because big amounts lead to something we don't have. And so most of us become very concerned with our security, both financially, but also status-wise. How do we fit in status-wise? How do we fit in importance-wise? How is my security for enjoyment or my own self-fulfillment satisfied? And so we become very secure in these things, trusting in these very temporal solutions, these very temporary solutions, instead of the anticipation that Christ's kingdom is going to come and the anticipation that God will provide in Christ's kingdom and that the kingdom is exemplified by Jesus as somebody who talks about feasts that are abundant and everybody is invited to them. And so we have a hard time with that notion because we forget everything God has done. And so we don't anticipate what God will do. These farmers are bringing this agriculture, not just out of thanksgiving for what God has done, but in anticipation that God will do in the future and that God will provide in the future and that the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, is much better than anything they could do on their land by themselves. And what's even better about this is they, they give the, the food to the priest, and you know what they do with it afterward? They all eat it together. It's kind of, I, I remember somebody, like, so I joke about this all the time, but I really think that the most important part of church for a lot of people is donuts. Um, It's just for real. Like the confirmation class, I told them there were kolaches up here, and they all raced out of confirmation class to get a kolache. Now, they had already been eaten up, so sorry to the confirmation class. But um, someone once said, it's so nice of y'all to provide donuts. I said, it's so nice that you gave an offering last week so we can buy donuts. Because what you give you participate in. Everything from Sunday school curriculum to the missions that we do to the TVs on this wall to the staff that are here are because of your generosity. And you get to partake in the goodness of that. You get to partake in the fruits of your tithe. It's not something you're taking, getting rid of, and never seeing again. It is the ministry of God and the promise of God that we get to partake in. And the best part about it is that when these farmers are giving the tithe out of hope for what God will provide, they're also inviting the lepers and the widows and the orphans and all of the destitute that can't have hope temporally. They can't hang on to the temporary status fix that they have. They need God. They need the community of Christ to uplift them. And so when we give our tithe, when they give their hope, when they gave out of hope, it's not just their own personal hope, but it's a hope for a community. It's providing hope. And this is the cool thing. We just talked about this confirmation too. The church is the one place. Like if you're on a volleyball team or a band and you get hurt or you can't do it anymore, the group tends to move on. But in the history of Christianity, the church is not a group that moves on. In the history of Judaism, it's not one that moves on. Jesus is the example of the kingdom of God in which they never move on. They find the bleeding woman and say, here, come with us. They find the lepers and say, hey, come to the temple with us. The Christianity, the movement of Jesus, the kingdom of Christ is one in which the hope continues to extend for even the least, the lost, the lonely, and the destitute. Not just the ones who are secure in and of themselves, but everybody. And this is the wonderment that we expect to happen. It's the wonderment that the farmers gave to the temple, they gave to God because they had seen it before. They weren't celebrating just the seeds they were planting in hopes that something would happen. And I don't think Advent is just waiting on something to happen. We don't just sit and wait for Jesus to come. It is the expectation that this will happen because we've seen it before. We've seen it in the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. We've seen it through the Exodus story. We've seen the prophets come and speak God's word. We've seen it in our own families and we've seen it in our own churches to where God has produced wondrous times and wondrous communities and all of the good that we've been able to do. We're not just celebrating because we hope something is going to happen. We are celebrating now early because we expect something to happen. 
And we expect and anticipate that this kingdom of this world not only will be the kingdom of Christ, but is the kingdom of Christ. Because in Luke 4, Jesus stood up and said, the kingdom of the Lord is upon us. And in the Beatitudes in Matthew, it said, the blessed shall be meek, the peacemaker, the, the meek shall be blessed, the peacemakers will be blessed. All of the attributes of Jesus' kingdom are the ones that are lifted up as the things that matter. And I think, I think we ought to expect more. I think we ought to anticipate more. And when I say we ought to expect more and anticipate more, I think that means that we pattern our lives about what we expect to happen, not what we're afraid of right now. That we don't just hope something happens in the meantime, but we actively work because we're expecting. The thing I like to talk about in terms of Jesus' second coming is that when Jesus comes back, I think Jesus expects the world to not look so different from what he's going to pattern it like. Because the church has been at work this entire time. The church has been at work in anticipation of Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom here on earth. And we have made it that much more easy because of the way we have patterned our lives through generosity and graciousness and mercy. And I think we ought to expect more. But not of God. God has shown up. God has been there. We celebrate because of what we anticipate, because of what God has done. I think we need to expect more of ourselves. I'll give you two easy challenges for Advent, what I think are easy. The first of it I've been putting out there, and I think, I, I expect and hope that you will attend worship every Sunday during Advent. It's only four weeks. And if you're out of town, go find a church there. Immerse yourself fully in the anticipation of Christ's coming so that you can be fully immersed in bringing Christ's hope to the world around you. Immerse yourself fully in the anticipation of this so you can give Christ's love fully. And here's the other thing I want to tell you because this is the weirdest thing about y'all. And it's not about me because I'm here most Sundays. But it is about all of us in general. Is I often hear we're not coming because we have family in town. You are allowed to bring your family to church. It's usually a healthy family activity to do. If you have conflict in your family, it's an even better place to come. You can meet up here at the altar and we'll pray together. It'll be fantastic. Make worship a habit during Advent to fully expect Christ to show up. If we're not putting ourselves in the way of expectation, we will not get immersed in it. If we're not immersed in it, then we will not be Christ's body in building the expectation of Jesus' coming for the rest of the world. So that's the first thing. Show up every Sunday during Advent. The other thing I, I did, I mentioned it. I want you to read Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a weird book to read during Advent because it's like not Christmas related at all. But Deuteronomy is the law given as though God were the king of the land. It is the law given to the people in the promised land. And you will be amazed at what God asks us to do that is fairly difficult for us in terms of the graciousness and generosity. Now, there are some bizarre laws in there too that you can email me about and I would love to have conversations. But there are plenty in there about what it would look like if we said, and tell me if you've heard this one before, Jesus is Lord. If we said that Jesus was our king, this might be what our behavior looked like. And I probably yelled more during the sermon than I did the TCU game with all the touchdowns yesterday. <laughs> but it's because Advent gets me passionate. Advent gets me passionate because I believe so firmly in what the kingdom of Christ looks like, and I think it is the best version of the world, and the church has been given the mission to help bring this about. And sometimes we get so fearful for our own security, or we lose sight of what we 
think will happen or lose sight of what we potentially should believe will happen, and we forget what has happened. And what has happened is God has always shown up. God has always made God's self-present, especially in the person of Christ. And God has told us that there is good coming. And Revelation tells us that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Christ and of his Lord, and he shall reign forever and ever. And we, the church, have been given the mission to help bring this about. And that's what I expect. And I hope that that is what you expect as well. Let's pray. Gracious God, for the goodness and mercy of your kingdom, for the banquet table that just keeps extending for more and more people, for the food that is abundant because we all share with each other, for those who have been left out who are invited to the table, those who have been in power who find the graciousness to open a seat for somebody else. God, for your kingdom come, we give you thanks. And we give you thanks for how we have seen it through Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the way that we can be a part of your work through the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks for all that you have done in the past that bears witness to the everyday miracle of life as well as the signs and wonders that free us from the powers of evil and sin. And so God, open up our hearts as we expect the little child who leads us to a world where the wolf lays down with the lamb and the child plays over the den of the adder and none shall be harmed and our swords are beaten into plowshares and we can see the full goodness of your love in the world. And it's in the confidence of Christ that we pray this. And all God's people said, amen. And I want to invite the kids. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.